close your eyes adult content just like in movies there are parental guidance for content like in india it's either universal or adults for adults right which are certified before the release of a movie it's a guidance issued by the film certification board to ensure age appropriate audiences for the given content simply put they want to ensure young underage kids to not watch adult content but the question is do adults have a guidance as well do they know what to watch and what to ignore who's advising them or is it assumed that they will automatically know likewise when parents decide or guide a child who's ensuring they know what they are doing after all there is no parental advisory for parenting there are no certificates for parenting and so in the absence of such guidance most parents fall back on what they think is the right way to parent basis perhaps how they were brought up or taking a cue from how the neighbors or the relatives kid is being brought up and that in turn becomes their gold standard of parenting the only trouble with that is the kid grows up fulfilling the parents wish often sacrificing their own and so as a result most kids grow up unhappy in their professions doing something they perhaps rather not do and that leads to mediocrity into the workforce we have tons and tons of available talent which is eligible but they're not employable let's dive in and find out what's the connection with parenting hello and welcome to bus talk a podcast about your work life balance or the lack thereof where we do simple talk in the world of complex commentary the life around work and sundry it's for those who need support in strife stuck in the traffic of work life hoping to find a method to the madness joy in sadness clarity in confusion and sanity in this commotion welcome to bus talk in india there is a strong case to educate parents before we really get to worry about the kids don't we give you some examples there are many well healed highly educated well traveled so called liberal progressive minded parents who wait anxiously at the school gate just to check the marks after every assessment is declared only to lament publicly on how the competitive world has no space for a mediocre 98% attainment while the kid with their head down walks slowly behind the parent utterly humiliated dejected and their confidence perhaps wrecked to bits then there are those who in the confines of their home beat their child for getting a mere 98% in school so imagine what would happen to the kid if the kid failed in any subject or in the class then there are those parents who send their child to the toppers house just to spy on their tips and tricks and learning tricks so that they can replicate the same with their child and what's the end goal so that their child can beat the topper in the class in the next upcoming exams there are those who stop the kids from the singing class or the hobbies that they pursue 
simply because for them, the math Olympiad is way more important than wasting time in a singing class or simply ask their boy to stop being like a girl helping their mother out in the kitchen or those who stop their kids from meeting other kids who have lower grades. It's infectious, they say, because they could end up becoming one of them. So stay away from people who don't score good grades. And then there are those parents who believe that if their son becomes an engineer or a doctor, they'd find a way to rise in their socioeconomic status. They'd become rich, make their son more marketable in the marriage market and therefore bask in that reflective glory in social gatherings. They have the bragging rights that, oh, my son is an engineer now in the US or a doctor in Europe or what have you, while clearly the neighbor's kid is only a commerce graduate with a questionable future. So Houston, we have a problem. If I were to rephrase, in India, we have a problem. We need to fix the parents before we really worry about the kids. So in today's ride, we must talk about how a herd mentality parenting is robbing the child of their future, following one stereotype after the other for generations in the name of tradition, kids are losing their passion, dismissing their point of view or interest. How can kids know better than us? And in doing so, unwittingly lay the foundation of an unhappy generation which often turns out to be mediocre in their forced profession while they could have excelled if they had followed their passion. So if you've been listening to Bus Talk for long, you know that we always try and understand the opposite point of view. Like I always say, there are three sides to the story. Your story, my story and the truth. So let's keep the truth aside for now. We have heard one side of the story. Let's hear the second side of the story, which is from these parents who want to bring up the children in a manner which they think is the best way to bring them up. So there are these 10 questions that I'm trying to explore and I know there could be hundreds of them, but I'm assuming the following 10 questions will certainly address the core sentiment that such parents have as a counter argument to the commentary we shared earlier. Number one, how can a child know about their future? They are ignorant. That's why parents help them chart one. Question two, is it not a parent's job to guide their child? If not us, then who will? And why should anyone else parent my child? Number three, would you risk your child to experimentation or rather go with the tried and tested path? Number four, what does the child know about the world we live in? They are cocooned, they're protected in an environment. We need to educate them of reality, don't we? Number five, are there not enough wasters for the world to see the same people who had a lot of potential but were not guided and they eventually messed up their lives. Do you need more such examples? Number six, the child will naturally vacillate out of ignorance. Parents provide the steady anchor. What's wrong with that? Number seven, what's wrong in wanting your child to become an engineer or a doctor? Doesn't the country need engineers and doctors? Is that not a good or a noble profession? 
Number eight, what's wrong to expect a family to rise in their socio-economic status owing to their children's success? Number nine, what's wrong if the child is much in demand in the marriage market as it were? And if they have done well for themselves, what's wrong in being in demand? Number 10, what if the child turns out to be a failure pursuing what they think is their passion? Who backs them up then? So friends, I'm sure there could be many more questions, but I guess you get the drift. If this sounds like you, or if these questions have bothered you, or if you are one of those parents who exactly followed this philosophy, please know the idea is not to disrespect your parenting style, but to merely request you to take note, take cognizance, or think before you decide your child's future. So what you hear as a counter to all these 10 questions does not disrespect your parenting style. Your questions are valid in their own right, but the idea, as is the case with Bus Talk, you know, is to make you think about the other side of the story as well before arriving at the final truth, which may well be not yours, not mine, but the objective overall truth. But before we do that, it's important to make you think so that as a parent, you are better informed, well-balanced in your parenting style. Not that I'm any parenting expert, but like I said, the only idea is to make you introspect. With that said, let's dive in and explore each of these 10 questions. So question one was, how can a child know about the future? That's why parents help them chart one. The answer is, you're right, perhaps they don't. But it also begs the question, how can a parent know about the future, which is uncertain for everybody? Doesn't the same logic hold true for you as well? Most parents base the definition of future on their limited view of the world in and around them. Which is why if you asked most employers, they'll share with you that 90% of the resumes are not employable. They're eligible, all right, but they are not employable. Have you ever wondered why? It's because there is a sizable majority who get qualified against their core wish, passion, competency, and end up being a mediocre professional in something which they simply have no interest in. But they anyways go ahead and do it because their parents thought it to be the best possible future. So how do you solve for this? The parent has to be equipped to identify the talent the child displays from an early age. So ask yourselves, what are the three things you did as a parent to identify your child's true talent? Or as is the case with most, were you the one to just simply ignore any of such traits and simply just ask them to do what you thought was right for them at the time. Just like the current craze in the edtech systems where people are forcing the children to go through coding and there are those set of kids who love coding, nothing wrong with that, even if they might have a limited understanding of coding, they're making it like a game experience, which is fine. They look, look at it as a fun thing, which is fine. But the other reality is that in six, seven, eight years, coding in itself will become redundant. We are headed towards a zero code environment. 
So then what happens to all this learning? How will they redeploy it elsewhere? It's good to keep the child engaged if that's the intent. But in most cases, as it turns out that if the neighbor's child is doing coding, then my child should also do coding. If the neighbor's child is learning gymnastics, then my child should also learn gymnastics. You know, it cuts both ways. So the fundamental question to ask is, are you as a parent qualified to assess the true potential in a child. Given that nobody really teaches you parenting and it's not your fault, you just inherit it. How do you make sure that your assessment is the right one? Basis what? Question number two. Is it not a parent's job to guide their child? If not us, then who will guide them? Answer. Yes, of course it is. But again, basis what? Basis what are you guiding your child? How are you keeping yourself abreast with what your child wants? Because last checked, you were busy earning money and rightly so, it's not easy. All your time, attention, energy is diverted towards that single cause. And so then are you basing your child's future because you see more advertisements of a particular course on TV? Or maybe a film star has endorsed a particular course. Is that the reason you are driving your child towards a particular future? Or maybe because your neighbor's kid or your uncle's kid or your aunt's kid is doing the same course. Is that the reason why you are pushing your child towards a certain path which he or she might not be interested at all? Question 3 was, would you risk your child to experimentation or rather go the tried and tested path? Look, the answer is playing safe does not guarantee results either. So how do you balance? The idea is not to let the child drift away into a dark space of nothingness, but to explore if their mind wants to research stars over searching jobs on LinkedIn. To explore if they want to pursue a sports career perhaps over say auditing a balance sheet or sing on a global stage over singing in the cafeteria. Or maybe even a regular accountant with a regular salary over being in the corporate madness and burning out by 40. There's nothing wrong if your child just wants to lead a regular, non-big ambitious life, for lack of a better expression. Essentially, if you teach them good financial discipline, their future will be sorted. Earning big bucks is not always the only solution towards a sound and secure future. With more money also comes more problem, as we know. Being not uber ambitious does not make them a loser. Being normal is good. Being regular is good. The idea is to ensure that your child is happy. The idea is not to make them regret their decision. Of course, you make them accountable for their action and decisions, but not have them regret their decision owing to society pressure or peer pressure. You can't define your child's success by way of another person's definition of success. Question four was, what does the child know about the world we live in? We need to educate them of this reality. Answer is, what reality do you speak of? Base is what? You see the common theme cutting across all these questions. Base is what? Remember, truth is a function of mass consensus during a finite period of time. 
truth changes over time. What was once very right becomes very wrong in due course of time. Think of fashion, for example. In 1970s, wearing a bell-bottom trouser was perhaps the ultimate fashion statement. Now, cut to 2010, if you wore a bell-bot to a party, people would think of you as someone who's trapped in a time warp. So, the definition of truth changed basis a mass consensus over time. Or think of the time when you inadvertently participated in a casual patriarchy at work, silencing an opinion from a woman over yours. What reality are you talking about that hasn't changed over the course of the last few decades? The one which you created, the one you live in today, or the one awaits you in the future? Question five, are there not enough wasters for the world to see? were not guided and messed up their lives? Answer, yes, there are. And there are those who died by suicide owing to the pressure that they could not live up to. Is that not the case as well? There are those who spend their entire lives hating every single moment of their jobs and of their existence. There are those who bring their frustration from work to home and beat their wives. Is that not real? So yes, there are wasters all right. But you can ensure that your child does what they love doing so that they never feel the need to worry about being happy in their lives, in their jobs or in their professions. Ask anyone who excels in their craft and the common theme will be choose a profession which you love and you'll never have to work a day in your life. And on a slightly lighter note, weren't arranged marriages built on somewhat similar premises? You know, get married first and then love will follow. You will learn to adjust and things will work out. Guess how that turned out for many people. The child will naturally vacillate out of ignorance. Parents provide the steady anchor. Answer, that's true. Children want to be a pilot one year and the chef the next and the following year they may want to be an ethical hacker or a train driver the following. But it's in these experimentations and explorations that they begin to understand what not to do. They get to know what appeals to them and what does not. And therefore, by elimination, they select what really works and appeals to them, which is sustainable. Yes, I know some parents might be thinking, where is the time to experiment so much? A year lost is never really gained back. Imagine the impact on the career progression if they spend year or two years figuring out stuff. Will the school accept them back after a two-year hiatus? Will they get more jobs if they take a three-year break? Will they not lose out on their earning potential? How can you risk losing years. To that I'd say, this is nothing but FOMO, fear of missing out. Just to put things in perspective, it's a 90 year life, plus or minus, 30 years of which you will typically spend working. And so if they spend five years to figure out their true passion, then the excellence which they bring to the table will ensure the earning potential lost on those five so-called mediocre years, figuring out life years, will be well covered, will be made up in the following five. And even if they don't make up for that lost five-year earning potential, the happiness and the joy that they have now is priceless. It is far more worth 
than five years of unhappy earnings. So you take a call. Would you rather have your child be very rich, powerful and successful, but at the heart of it, very, very unhappy or prefer your child to be first happy and in the process, if they become rich, powerful and successful, then so be it. What is the better way? Question number seven. What's wrong in wanting your child to become an engineer or a doctor? What have you against engineers and doctors anyway? Answer. I have absolutely nothing but respect for all the engineers and doctors. There's nothing wrong in becoming a doctor or an engineer. It is indeed fantastic. The only fine print is that whatever you do or be, be the best one at it. The trouble is force feeding. The trouble is pushing a child to do engineering despite their interest lying elsewhere. That is where the problem is. And so as long as this is a natural progression, a natural choice for the child, there are those children who are very good analytically, logically, they have a natural inclination towards, say, the engineering fields or the medical fields. Absolutely. God bless them. The country needs such people. And as a country, we've been historically blessed with great engineers and doctors, and we need so many more of them. But I also mean we need so many more good ones, not average ones, but good ones. And the people become good in their profession if they truly love it. If your child is taking up engineering for the love of engineering, for the love of problem solving, that couldn't be a better place to be rather than worry about what the society will think if they go ahead and do a commerce or an arts graduation. It will be increasingly immaterial whether you have done a commerce graduation or an arts graduation, how you execute the given task at hand will be paramount. And if you are going to be good at it, the likelihood of you excelling in such a profession will stem from how much you really love doing what you do. I'm yet to come across people who absolutely loathe what they're doing, but are exceedingly good at their jobs. Question number eight, what's wrong to expect a family to rise in their socioeconomic status owing to their children's success? Answer, think of the last time you took a flight. What's the message you hear from the cabin crew? That in case of an emergency, when the overhead masks fall down, then apply the mask on yourself before you apply it to the child next to you. It's a very interesting analogy here that save yourself first. Why? Because if you put the mask on your child before you and you unfortunately die, the chances of the child's survival are far lower. So the message is protect yourself first and then protect the child. So the same analogy applies to you as a parent. If you are a parent who is financially secured, well-planned, then you need not worry about how your child earns. I often find parents who have not traditionally managed their finances well, they land up being a burden on their children. They not just are emotionally dependent, they're financially dependent, they're physically dependent, and they start to demand money from their children as if it was an obligatory thing. Just because I have raised you, I've given birth to you, you automatically owe this to me. 
That seems to be the underlying narrative. And so if you did not manage your finance well and did not rise up to a certain level in the society in your work-life period, why expect your child to take the onus of bailing you out? That's being very selfish of you, don't you think? You brought the child into the world. He or she did not ask to be born. So if you have brought a child into the world, you have to ensure that you've got to take care of the child more than the child takes care of you. Question number nine. What's wrong if the child is much in demand in the marriage market as it were? Answer. It's a human life we are talking about here. Not a piece of commodity on a shelf in a supermarket that you display so that the best buyer picks it up. That's not the sentiment. It's not a marriage of finances. It's a union of two souls. It's a partnership. It's not a buyer buying a product. It's not a vendor selling a product. So what is this demand that you're talking about in the market? Yes, if your child has done well, he or she has strong values, done great education and is financially secure, it's something to be happy about. Absolutely. But to market it as a commodity, to bait, if you will, either ways, those are the wrong approaches to life. And finally, question number 10. What if the child turns out to be a failure pursuing what they think is their true passion? Answer. Sure, that can happen. But like I said before, were you not the one saying failure is a stepping stone to success? Remember, it's a 30-year work life. So five years if they fail at something, then that doesn't mean that the rest of their lives will not be successful. And I'm not just putting it at five years. It could be 10 years. It could be three years. It could be whatever. The point is the earlier your child understands what is working for them, the chance of they being more happy, more successful become far better. And if you look all around you, all the successful people around you, can you cite anyone who's never failed in their lives, right? So yes, there will be misadventures. Yes, there will be mistakes. The idea is to equip your child to get up, dust off the failure and move on, to march on. Equip your child with that mental ability rather than really worry about whether they will succeed or fail. And so if you are planning a child, if you already have one, or if you had a child which you've parented perhaps not the most ideal way think about these 10 questions and see what you could correct moving forward sit down across the table and have a conversation and ask them what makes them happy what makes them tick what works for them and nudge them and guide them make them accountable for sure but also let them breathe let them figure out their lives just the way you did. In the event you didn't have such a life, there is all the more reason for you to provide that platform for your child so that they can grow up free from any inhibitions and explore their true passion. Parenting, as we all know, is tricky, tough and unpredictable. There is no single size that fits all. Each child has a unique future, unique path to their life, their success, their goals. And as parents, I think you are best suited to play a supporting role, be behind the scenes and lead when required. If you can strike a balance 
where they don't feel overburdened by your presence or underwhelmed in your absence, I think that's the right way forward. Clearly, it's easier said than done. No arguing on that. But to follow the stereotypical notions that the society presents us with and developing a herd generation is not the best, not just for you, your family, or even for the country. And while I know these are all tricky, deeply personal and difficult conversations, if you know someone who needs to listen to this, please do share this episode with them. Even if one child has a better future after listening to some of this, I think I'd be very happy. Well, that's all for now. I hope you had a good time listening as much as I had sharing these thoughts. And if you did, do tune in to the other episodes of Bus Talk. Yes, you could share them on Facebook or Twitter and with especially those who might appreciate similar content. And if you need to talk to me or reach out to me, you can use the Twitter handle hashtag Gyanban, spelled as G-Y-A-N-B-A-N, one word, or email me on gyanban at gmail.com. Again, spelled as G-Y-A-N-B-A-N-N. Be sure to tune in next week. There is a fascinating episode coming up for you. Till we meet again, stay safe, be well, and bring your A-game to work. Ciao.